the reality is like revenue is is number one and it's it's the ultimate Maalox. you know founders have heartburn because they can't make payroll and you can cut costs all day long but really it's about more sales You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about how to build a revenue machine. When should younger companies add a sales force? And more importantly, how you tell the difference between a good lead and a bad one. To help us, we have with us Ledge Ledgerwood, co-founder and managing partner of Ad10. Ledge, thank you for taking the time and welcome to the show. Chad, it's fun to be here. I love this stuff. Let's talk about money. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's favorite topic before we get into that though we always like to ask an icebreaker question and always curious to know everybody that knows you from your work environment will have one perspective but always curious if there's something you're passionate about that those that know you largely through work might be surprised to learn about yeah you know i don't get to talk about like my service work as much as i'd like i have been involved in youth leadership team leadership development programs with the rotary international uh, for about 25 years now. So love doing it, worked with thousands of kids, just developing leadership skills, teamwork skills. You know, it's really like a, you know, like a heart anchor service right. kind of thing. And um, so I, I don't know if everybody knows about about that, but yeah, I love to draw attention to that program. It's called RYLA, R-Y-L-A. And if you don't know about Rotary and Rotary International, you should check them out. Biggest service organization in the world. They do awesome stuff. Nice. All right. So we don't usually start kind of with the guest's background story, but as we were prepping for this and I was going through stuff, it's a, it's a fairly compelling story. So would love for you just to kind of run us down. How did we end up here having this conversation today and you being, you know, co-founder and managing partner of Ad10? Walk us through the journey. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, I had no aspirations whatsoever of ever having anything to do with sales. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> um, I mean, it just never even occurred to me. And I'm I'm old enough. You could probably relate to this. Like in college, there was not yet this idea of learning entrepreneurship. You know, prior to the the first internet boom. Right. <laughs> so. As far as I knew, everybody grew up and just became a consultant. And so that's what I did. You know, we uh, like probably 40% of our graduating class at, at Bucknell University went to work for one of the big, then the big five, now the big four. So I did that. I put in my time as a, you know, Fortune 500 consultant for ERP systems and other technological wonders, which was really a, a joke. I mean, now that I look back at it, I'm, I'm glad I did my time. I got that experience. But I mean, the fact that anyone was billing money for us at that age with our like negative experience of anything to install enterprise wide systems worth millions and millions of dollars is slightly terrifying. But we did that. And, and somebody probably is still getting a, a paycheck at uh, a major financial institution because of code that I wrote, and uh, I hope that their paycheck is right. Um, but <laughs> after that, I, I did a stint in private media. So I was part of the 
kind of the launch and, and early efforts to get newspapers into the internet. So uh, that was fun. I did that sort of on a nationwide scale, ran some big service and support organizations. So always a technologist. I wrote code. I, uh, I worked in technology organizations. And um, at some point I got the bug. I worked in operations and I just got the bug and said, you know, I really want to start my own company. A little bit of that came from uh, on 9-11, I was uh, intimately close to, at a, at a client site, close to the World Trade Center. And, uh, you know, I just kind of had the, the year after that, having escaped pretty close to, to death and, you know, kind of, I remember hiding under a desk and smoke and, you know, fire and brimstone and kind of going, I really don't want to die in a job that I loathe. You know, I mean, I really hated it. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, I, I always... And it was such a, you, you just didn't have thoughts about starting your own business like you do now. You know, now it's just sort of like, oh, everybody does a startup, uh, at least in my world. But it wasn't like that. So, you know, I, I had to figure that out as I went. And we, we all quit our jobs, a, a bunch of partners and myself, and moved down to Nashville, Tennessee from, from the New York area. And we started a consulting company and, and we did all right. And we got absolutely pummeled in 2009 for that, uh, you know, the, the Great Recession. Yeah. And I'll come back to that because I think that was an important learning lesson. So, you know, then it was just like, well, we got wrecked. We lost all our investors' money. Uh, now what? You know, so the following Monday, let me pick up a consulting contract, call my network. I got to do something here to get paid, shut the company down. And I got hired on to a business development team at an ed tech startup that I was connected with and kind of weaseled my way into <laughs> building you know, high stakes, sort of like super expensive proposals and, and RFP answers for state and federal local government IT systems. I mean, I had no business being there. I had absolutely no idea how to do that. But um, maybe that was my first sale, I guess, is convincing people <laughs> to hire me for the sales team. But uh, I did that and we closed, you know, $20 million of revenue. And I kind of just was like, well, this isn't that bad. I can do this. <laughs> and then I went and took a COO role and learned a whole bunch more about startups and did a bunch of early stage stuff. And then ultimately found my way into a VP of sales role where uh, I worked in the IT sort of elite freelancer IT staffing kind of space. And that, that whole experience between those things, you know, really built up this, I don't know, maybe a body of work or a theory that, you know, first, first point being no founder ever wakes up at three o'clock in the morning worrying about anything except more sales. <laughs> and so if I can figure out what is the way to work such that the only thing I ever talk about is bringing people more sales. So that, that kind of stuck in my brain Then just, I don't care how much we talk about everything else. The reality is like revenue is, is number one and it's, it's the ultimate Maalox, you know, founders have heartburn cause they can't make payroll and you can cut costs all day long, but really it's about more sales. So that, that really stuck to me. And I, I took that. And, and the second thing was that startups and founders seem to be obsessed with this idea of hiring sales teams or VP of sales you know, once they reach, I don't know, half million, million dollars and, and just running the math, like that's insane. Like there's just simply no way that that makes any sense. And I just don't think they know better. And I, I looked at all the things that we did some 13 different startups and different experiences that I had. It's like, we hire interim CFOs, we hire interim COOs, we get all these different things, but 
where's this idea come from that we need to hire a VP of sales? Like we must have it inside. Why can't that be a fractional leadership role? And I looked around and there's a lot of people who do fractional sort of, you know, uh, sales coaching and sales consulting, and we'll help you build your strategy and we'll help you, you know, do the blah, 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 blah. But, but nobody ever talked about just closing deals. Like I just, I thought, well, shouldn't we just hire closers? Like that's, what we want, right? So that was the concept that led to the add one zero idea that you ought to have actual revenue. You should pay only for people that close money. You don't need a VP of sales. You just need sales. That's what matters. <laughs> and that space between 500,000 of revenue and, and 5 million and I should say we work in B2B services, BBD and tech services, right? So this, this is not a SaaS business equation. Right. And, I, and I know that, but that space between that 500 and 5 million, it's just a pithy way to say 10X. That's where you should be building a scalable revenue function, a revenue machine, if you will, document the hell out of it, the SOPs, like all the stuff and pull in the staff only as necessary. You, you certainly should not be blowing a quarter million dollars on a VP of sales with a Rolodex. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Like it's insane. And so that was the message we started out with. And it turns out that resonates and people kind of say, yeah, that's exactly what I want. Like get on the, get on the calls and, and turn these leads into money. Now, what we actually have to do is all kinds of things that are pretty damn close to marketing and changing messaging and positioning. And, you know, it's like all the stuff, but we are operators. We are essentially just founders who figured out that, that we could sell. And so we can put on that operator hat and we're pretty successful with that. So to round the story all out, we started this company, you know, in grand form last year and uh, you know, since I like to start companies during debilitating recessions, <laughs> uh, we, uh, here we are. But I say from the first experience, going all the way back to the beginning, having lost the company in 2009 and run myself bankrupt, you know, trying to just handle cash flow in a, it, it no longer surprises me or it, it's not a strange scenario for me to say, you know, that sales revenue, like actual revenue can go to zero and stay there for at least six months. Right. And um, now I know how to bring that lesson along. And I, I post on LinkedIn right at the beginning right. of this to say, y'all better figure out how to have 150 days of cash in the bank. Right. Because if you don't, like, this could be a really, really bad thing. And I, I think that's, that's bearing fruit. We have our notes from our March quarterly partners meeting where uh, we kind of go, you know, March 10th, hey, this is going to be the real deal. <sighs> Start building cash balance. And I think that's that's correct. Now we've been lucky enough to build and grow, you know, revenue during this thing. But I empathize with all the people who are really struggling to pay the bills because it's no joke. So. Yeah, it's it's there are there are though it's interesting. There are companies that are struggling, individuals. Some are struggling because of operational management. Some are struggling because of the industry. I mean, arts, yeah. events. That's. I mean, some of them just disappeared almost overnight. And then there are these others that are just taking off, right? Like the fitness equipment industry, mm -hmm. it was ridiculous. I was talking to the president of um, Fitness Gallery here in Denver, one of the largest providers. And I was putting a gym in my basement. He's like, oh yeah, my business is up 398% 
from this time last year. So, and now he was having different problems. He's like, how do I manage the, the shipping, the receiving? Cause all that stuff, most of that stuff. Oh, scaling logistics and human visitors (laughs) to houses. And, you know, I mean, imagine all that stuff, you know, um, it's changed the game for sure. Yeah. All that. Everything is, you know, I don't even want to say new normal. It's just like, I think if we learn anything, it's just going to be like, your contingency planning is invariably wrong. You know, like, like literally 0% of us had this on our contingency plan, like disaster recovery plan, business continuity plan, like anyone who says that they had global pandemic will kill everything (laughs) on their plan is just as likely to had, you know, wildfires will burn down my entire state. Right. Or it's even more likely to have that because at least you kind of like, that's a disaster, but this is just the unknown territory. So you know, I respect anyone that has built the ability to pivot and to just, you know, kind of act differently and, and be agile. I mean, that's, that's like the only game in town now. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's really hard for some organizations like our, like, it was interesting for us because we, we do most of our training. I mean, I had 168,000 air miles last year, lived on a plane. I was never home. And uh, all of a sudden in March, Boom, everything's got to go virtual. Now, we'd always done some level of virtual training, but it Mm -hmm. never had done anything at the scale. So we were able to invest, we invest and redesign it and pivot. But I know a lot of organizations that didn't and a lot of people that are that are struggling. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all all plays out. And so I guess that leads to an interesting question is like, when you're working with these companies now as the as the you're sitting in that VP sales spot as the operators helping your your clients to close what kind of things are you doing differently than maybe you were doing pre pre covid event well that's the fun part of the story cuz <laughs> we're doing nothing different and everybody finally thinks that we're smart <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i as recently as December last year, I can remember conversations of, yeah, that'll never work for us because, you know, we just have an in-person sale and it's just complicated. And, you know, you got to shake hands with somebody across the table. Well, okay. You know, so we were, we were selling on eight hours a day of zoom calls indefinitely. I've been doing this for five years. I've sold $35 million of stuff and never been in the same room with the people who bought it. Right. This does not surprise me. And I think it's a hell of a lot more, cost effective. But, you know, if I'd said it on LinkedIn the other day, you know, if if your corporate culture or your sales process is dependent upon humans in the same room, like you're just screwed. Right. So let's just get real here. Like it's not coming back. Um, Maybe, you know, I, I don't wish for it not to come back, but uh, sticking your head in the sand right now, and kind of wishing for it to go away would be a terrible idea. So I guess my message to anybody is you, you can sell anything this way. We can make really meaningful relationships. I've never worked with any of my business partners in the same room. I, you know, we just yeah. sit on video all the time. So. In the last, in the last three, I'm with you in the last three years, I, I only have one deal where I, where I had went into complete a conversation before I closed it. Everything else has been online, but a lot of people struggle with it because it's a different, it's a different thing. Like now, granted, we're doing a podcast and I'm trying to right. optimize, so I don't have my video on right now, but you, you, there's different ways to manage it. Like you look at your backdrop, you have a nice, there's a curtain there. It's a nice backdrop. You're managing the impression that you're making all of the same things that you would do in a normal sales relationship. It's like the minute you put them on zoom, they freak out and forget. I mean, I had, I had somebody show up to a, 
call that had a rainbow unicorn hoodie on. And I was like, what in the world are you doing? What kind of impression does that make? So it's just interesting to see, not only as, as we're dealing with what's going on with COVID and the changes it makes in business, now people having to understand that this video and digital world isn't just about duck lipping in front of Instagram for selfies and crap like that. <laughs> There's actually a way that you can have and build a meaningful connection and sell to someone. It's going to be an interesting to see who can figure it out fast enough. Yeah, I, um, I agree. I mean, yeah, I have a nice setup. I have, you know, microphone, high def camera. Yes, these are things I did before. But I mean, it's not that hard. Like, right, it's less than 200 bucks of stuff. Yeah. And it's totally portable. You know, I can do it anywhere. So I don't maybe people are scared of the unknown. But I mean, it's really not that much. So you know, I'm glad I'm just glad that we made that leap you know, a long time ago, but I really would encourage anybody like you could figure this out in a couple of days. So yeah, it's, no, it's don't, not rocket science. Don't freak out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, behind me is like a bunch of toys and crap and my house looks awful. And <laughs> I have a $30 curtain that I pull across a couple right. of bars and yeah, it looks pro, but believe me, it's a disaster, you know? So <laughs> Um, and you know, I may or may not be wearing pants, but you can't tell cause I have a nice shirt on. <laughs> I don't know. So this was our life, you know, before. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's, I like to see, you know, people are starting, I think it's starting to level out a little bit. People are getting a little bit more used to it and mm -hmm. stuff. And so these organizations now can go back to thinking about growth rather than, uh, necessarily thinking about survival. I mean, we've been doing mm -hmm. it, we're in it deep enough. It granted, I mean, I know some tech companies are making announcements where they won't have people back in the office or even discuss having them back in the office until like July of next year. So this isn't going away, like you say. So when the company comes out of this and they start to focus on growth again, when do, they, when do you recommend they make that shift from somebody helping themselves to hiring their own sales team? Is there a magic moment that, that needs to happen or when a revenue threshold? What, what makes the most sense there? I definitely think of it as revenue threshold. And again, we're, you know, so I, I'll be clear that it's B2B services with a tech flavor. That's our jam. <laughs> and therefore I know that business, I cannot tell you where to do this, you know, for SaaS or for other businesses. Right. But if you are a tech enabled B2B services company, I do not believe that you should hire your own sales folks until you hit about 5 million. That just feels to be the magic number where it becomes affordable. And um, it's so least, you're talking about outsourcing the entire team or just the leadership? The whole thing. The whole thing. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. So when I say leadership, I mean, yeah, that's what we do, but that's the afterthought. You know, we are just like you're looking at now, like me or someone like me on our team is doing the call with the prospect for that company. Book those gotcha. calls, like from an outbound or inbound perspective, do the appointments, close the deals, send the MSA, get it signed. So the space between top of funnel and make the appointment and close the deal, that's all us. And it's 100% white label, like perfect white label. No one will ever know that unless you want them to know that. You know, so that was my thought that it was just absolutely nuts to internalize the ridiculous expenditure of doing that on a full-time basis for some, you know, stereotypical sort of, you know, Rolex Rolodex, not Rolex. Well, they may have Rolex. I was going to say it may, they might. <laughs> they might. I mean, it's, it's your money that bought it. So, you know, but I, I don't know. It, we're just heavy commission loaded. You know, like we just think that closing deals should be about performance. And so the metrics I want to track are, 
you know, did a company pay us for every dollar that a company paid us, you know, how much did we bring back in top line revenue? And I like to keep that at, at $10 plus. So to me, that's a vastly better proposition because if you pay, you know, 300,000 fully loaded on, you know, Rolodex person in order to get 10 X return on that, they're going to have to immediately sell, you know, $3 million. Right. right. And they, can't do that. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> there are very few that can, you know, so that when your average ticket size is what, 15, 20, 30, 40 grand, like it's just, it doesn't make any sense. The math is completely impossible. And wouldn't it be better to do that at a 10 to one ratio of revenue to, to cost of sales. And then in a couple of years be at that 3 million to 5 million mark at which time you have a fully documented revenue system program, systems, ops, everything, and you built it with your own money, you're cash flowing like crazy, you're positive. Sure, go ahead and hire a VP of sales. Like that, that's a pretty badass choice at that point. Right. Well, you've made it to that point where you should be sustainable enough that it makes sense to, to up level the foundation sure. in order to go from five to ten, ten to fifteen or something. Yeah, no, I don't I don't make any illusions that I know exactly how to scale from the five million to, to fifty. Yeah. So like those are material change of circumstance and do something else. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's not our, our thing, but we want to prepare you for all the documentation systems, processes, ops, et cetera, et cetera, that and cash in the bank, frankly, right. that, that you can then hire somebody else to do that because that's not our jam. And so when you're working with these companies and you're, you're out there, you're doing it, you're doing, you're doing the wholesale. How do you or your team or the people that are dedicated to these customers, do you have an internal qualification or way you assess what's a good lead versus a bad lead? Where are you going to spend your time? Cause I'm assuming we're talking high commission. I mean, I'm a 100% commission sales rep too. So you've got to be able to times the one asset you don't get back. You have to be able to manage it. You got to be able to qualify. How do you effectively ensure your team is doing that consistently? So the bottom of the funnel people work from appointment to close, right? So that's the commission area. And therefore it's really the top of the funnel and appointments setter outbound and or inbound types who make those appointments happen on the calendar. So we think about those two things separately. So those top people outbound and inbound and marketing sales combination at the top of the funnel, those are the ones that need to do the qualification. So you have to do very careful targeting. If you don't specifically know what it is, the thing that you do, what the value of that is, change it all to you first language, you know, all the tricks that you would do for copywriting and an assessment of, of opportunity, and then do it at, at adequate volume just to, to fill the calendar. So we try to think of it as like a math operation. If we can drive up each of the conversion point percentages you know, just step to step in the funnel, right? The higher you go in the funnel, the more difference it makes, you know, at the bottom to, to change that equation. So just try to optimize at, at every stage and, and really clearly define what is it that moves a thing from one stage to the other, because that's what qualification is. Now I tend to like, you know, the bottom part, I don't really do the top part myself because yeah. I like, when stuff shows up on my calendar and then I get on the call and I do my dance and I take my notes and then ops slides into, you know, the proposal and all that. That's just, 
my world there. So I have never aspired. In fact, we didn't set out with the company to even do top of funnel stuff. We just found partners that we, we trusted to tag in because I like to work. We like to work on, you know, from appointment to close, like, right. That's it. You know, that's what we know how to do. We're really, really awesome at that. And obviously we can, you know, throw a little consulting up at the top there to make sure that bad things aren't happening. Um, but I would much rather hire the appointment makers, lead generators, marketers, you know, inbound, outbound content creators, you know, you name it, all those people are available and they're awesome at what they do, but a full 0% of them actually work the bottom and literally close revenue. Right. And so I, I believe that we're all important to each other. Nice. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply as a managing partner and co-founder, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people out there. <laughs> and so I'm always curious to know when somebody doesn't have a trusted referral, like somebody that brings them to you and says, Hey, you should talk to this person. What works for you from your perspective for somebody to be able to capture your attention and earn some time on your calendar? So I'm kind of a weirdo. Like I, not that I want to give away my calendar all the time, but like I'll take a lot of pitches <laughs> because I just want to see what happens. And I like to take those calls and turn them around and turn them into a, a sales pitch for me because I can be like, basically like, you know, I'm sorry, Mr. Founder, but you're awful at this. Right. And, but I like your thing. And I think that if you hired us, we could sell a lot of it. Right. <laughs> so it's actually, it's actually a little lead gen game to keep me on my toes, you know, flip the vendor call. Uh, but the, the true answer is that, Pay attention to the, the channel, first of all. Like, if you look at the stats now on what, on what email outreach has done and, and LinkedIn outreach since, the, since COVID, I mean, it's a freaking disaster. Like, every day, yep. I'm sure you get them. Like, oh, yeah. five, 10, 15 copies a day of these ridiculous outreach that it's like, I don't know what template that came from, but stop. <laughs> <laughs> because it's terrible. Right. You know? Hey, just this morning, I, this is the sixth time this has happened this, this month. Like, Hey David, weird question, but <laughs> I see you've done a lot of experiences and I ever wondered if you thought about getting in franchising, like, come on, dude, you did <laughs> not read anything I'm doing. <laughs> no, I mean, I accept every invitation, but I'm just like, come on, like, just try, please yep. just try, like add a little bit of value to my life. So I look for personalization. One nice trick for filtering on LinkedIn is that since my nickname is Ledge, my first name is David on LinkedIn. And then after it, I have in parentheses Ledge because I like to be called that. Well, um, anybody who strips that into their little automated message program and ends up saying, hey, David, parentheses Ledge, comma, <laughs> I know right away they didn't even read my thing. Right. So I would, I've seen that trick before, you know, throw a little tilde or something after your name and LinkedIn. That way it'll help you tell which yeah. ones are automated. Well, it, and the automation, I mean, it's so easy to spot. I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy to spot and it's horrible. I'm with um, you. I don't know who the hell helped them come up with some of those templates. All I, mean, right, I just so, want to be introduced to people, right? Like I just work your network. Like I, it's not like I don't need those things, but show me why you're valuable. Um, right. You know, it's, it's like, I respect everybody's time. And if somebody reaches out to me, this is another thing. I would ask everybody who gets an outreach from a sales, excuse me, for a salesperson, just say no to them because the worst thing for us, and you know this, is oh, yeah. like a maybe, like don't drag me on. Like yeah. 
if you if you don't want to hear from me, just say, hey, you know, Chad, I respect your job because I have your job and I'm going to give you a hard firm no so you can delete this from your database and you can go make some money. Yeah. And I wish that more people would not be afraid to say no to us because uh, we eat no's for breakfast. So. Yeah, we do. We totally do. All right. So like, last question, call it the acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, just one piece of advice that if they listen to you believe would help them hit their targets or why, or hit their targets or exceed them, what would it be and why? I absolutely know what the answer is to this. And it is package your offerings into named packages, such as the, you know, those sort of three columns that you might see on a website. I don't care what you're doing, make packages and name them because <laughs> it will give you so much power over the costing and pricing and bundling of, of what you do. No one will ever nitpick, particularly professional services. No one can nitpick your line items. And nickel and dime you for what they think they need because you know what they need. Your thing is good. And when you name it and you offer it, it shows a level of authority. This person must have done this thing a lot of times. It must be valuable because they took the time and effort to name it and put it out there. It's now an entity. It's a thing. It's a noun. It's not a custom proposal for each one of our clients. That is the biggest tip off to me that you have no idea what you're doing and you will do anything for money. Yep. And so that is my number one advice. Like just do that. We have seen that alone, that exercise, and we could take you through it in two hours. That exercise will raise your average ticket price by about 30%. Nice. Nice. All right, Ledger, if a listener's interested in talking to you and learning more about Ad One Zero, where's the optimal place you want us to send them? They should look at ad10.co. So it's got the numeral one in the middle, add numeral one, Z-E-R-O dot C-O. We have a nice blog that features my ugly mug on it, doing all kinds of teaching and stuff. Also LinkedIn, I welcome those outreaches. But uh, again, you know, I, I will uh, notice your automation. So how about you just reach out and say hello and I'll... <laughs> You know, we have a thing called expert community. That's a lot of fun that we like to have people join. It's the cheapest possible step in. You get all our templates, our full community, our full attention, all kinds of stuff for the do it yourselfers who, you know, aren't ready. And that's, that's only 500 a month. It's 10 to one value. So love to tell people about that and just, you know, add to our membership there. Excellent. Ledge. I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. You are a boss, my man. It is so <laughs> good to be here. I, I love talking about, Revenue, appreciate what you guys are doing. All right. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know the drill. B2Brevexec.com. Share it with your friends, family. Put your kids in front of it instead of the iPad. Give them a break. Uh, until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.